Greetings, people of Earth, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight, the film podcast crafted in the heartland by two millennial movie buffs. I'm Hunter Cates. And I'm Chris Gallagher. On today's show, we're reviewing Roland Emmerich's latest picture of Planetary Peril, Independence Day Resurgence. Then in special features, we'll discuss one man's particularly peculiar personality and the curious case of Jeff Goldblum. And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... Well, ladies and gentlemen, even though we'll be discussing the summariest of all summer movies today, a interesting bit of news came out regarding something that should be very beneficial to independent filmmakers. BitTorrent now is now doing a ad streaming service, which, as I understand, will give more money to the filmmakers. Chris, you know a little bit more about this than I do. Please explain it to yes. our Midnight Warriors. Okay, so BitTorrent, BitTorrent now is actually the name of the new service. BitTorrent is the, well, it's synonymous with... Is this uh, like the Napster or the... <laughs> it's yeah, Well, it's synonymous with piracy, but it's not really, you know, it's it's a open vessel. Uh, but the, the BitTorrent company itself, um, a, a few years ago, they introduced something called BitTorrent Bundle, which... Um, I've bought a couple things off of through uh, particularly Alamo Drafthouse uh, or, or sorry, Drafthouse Films, who released uh, Dangerous Men and uh, a number of other. Uh, but who cares about those? They release Dangerous Men, right? Right, right. Um, actually, most recently, I bought uh, Raiders, the the documentary about the mm-hmm. friends who shot for shot remade Raiders of the Lost Ark with the exception of one shot. And that's sort of the, the documentary is them trying to go back and capture the uh, the famous uh, fight, you know, on the, the runway. Not to get off track, but do you and I do you want to remake Independence Day Resurgence? <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let's do a deep, a deep tease to this and we'll yeah. come back to that. Um, so what BitTorrent now is. Is, is sort of a yeah it's a, it's a streaming service that um like so many streaming services that we have now but uh their main focus is really on the content creators and so they're giving them um 70% of all profits made so it's sort of like if you're familiar with like say Bandcamp um the the music uh, service where where bands can put up their music and and they get the lion's share of the profits. It's, it's sort of the same thing as that. But the the really exciting news about this, I think, is the partners that they announced at launch, and that's A twenty four, who has distributed some great films. Did we make the A twenty four cinematic universe joke on on air, or did I, I that don't off, I don't think mic? we did. Do you want to you want to? Well, no, this? it's it's your joke. Go for it. Um, I I don't. Okay, well, in essence, what it is, is it's unifying the universes of A24, which I believe include the, the latest Noah Baumbach films, The Lobster and The Witch. Yes. So, yeah. And uh, and the upcoming uh, Farting Corpse movie, Swiss Army Man. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff uh, in there. And yeah, A24's had some of the most exciting uh, films lately. I mean, they've, for to to my knowledge, they've only been around for, oh, Ex Machina. Yeah, and Ex well. Machina too, yeah. Um, uh, they've only been around or I've only been aware of them for the past, I don't know, maybe three or four years. Um, but they're, they're picking up, you know, some of the best, you know, every Sundance they're picking up the, some of the best films, the most interesting films, um, that are, you know, genre films, but also, and they'll be on bit toy now. That's yeah. So they're, they're partnered with them. They're also partnered with the oscilloscope, um, who have been around for a bit longer. They, and they release like, I first became aware of them because they release these beautiful, like rivaling criterion in their um, just uh, box art and their the attention to detail in their physical uh, media. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've released, uh, I think, Kelly Reichardt's Mix Cutoff, um, a bunch of good stuff. I, I can't think of off the top of my head right now. Um, but they're partnered with them as well. And a new film coming out that I'm really excited to see, The Fits. I don't know if you've seen this mm. trailer. Um, but anyway, they're, you know, they are a indie stalwart, um, if anything. And so I think it's exciting to see that they are, they're on board. They're going to, they're going to do this. Like, hopefully this creates a distribution outlet for uh, independent filmmakers okay chris uh, i'll play devil's advocate because that's what i like to do please do let's let's assume that there really is only a narrow indie audience there's only so many people do you think do you think this is more likely to expand the independent audience or do you think that this might playing devil's advocate here hurt indie theaters independent nonprofit theaters i mean i i think that's a good question we'll have to see how it plays out i from my understanding of it and they just announced this last week uh my understanding of it is that it's not going to be a day and date uh, kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's going to be, but it's going to be the distribution platform of choice when home video is 
Um, you know, once you get to which, you know, that that gate is closing tighter and tighter now, especially with, I mean, indie films like The Lobster, which A24 released, that was in theaters here for what, two or three weeks only. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not a huge window. The window is closing. Well, and here's the thing is you can only imagine what's going to happen to home video technology once we start incorporating alien Mm-hmm. streaming technology mm-hmm. right. into, into the way we watch movies right which we've we you know we've had it for the past 20 years and i hear it's just now coming on board yeah well i suppose that's as good a transition <laughs> as we're gonna get so ladies and gentlemen stick around for our review of independence day resurgence were chris and i awash in nostalgia or do we have a bad case of sequelitis stick around on this day in 1996 the world escaped the clutches of extinction your father was the bravest man I've ever seen. We all lost someone we love. But in their sacrifice, we found the technology to build a stronger and safer Earth. Because our survival is only possible when we stand together. Oh my God, a distress call. Screaming. They're not screaming. They're celebrating. They're coming back. It has its own gravity. What goes up must come down. Shouldn't we be nervous? Um, yeah. 20 years ago, human civilization was nearly nullified when alien spacecrafts descended upon Earth to harness the energy of our planet's molten core and destroy our landmarks? Luckily, a hotshot pilot and an erudite cable repairman sullied the aliens' plans with the help of a computer virus and a big-ass bomb. Now, two decades later, the world has come together as a unified nation with leadership derived from the major global box office markets. Earth's citizens are still driving around in 30-year-old station wagons, but thanks to scientific research and an abundance of alien ship refuse, our global military technology has advanced exponentially. That doesn't really matter, though, because the Zerg-looking extraterrestrials have returned, or resurged, and they still totally caught us with our pants down. So the citizens of the world, especially the Chinese and American ones, must band together to fight in another against-all-odds battle, and to set up a continuing franchise before even resolving the conflict at hand. Hunter, I'm curious. You're a strong-willed spectator of the cinema. Yet the recent reduxing of nostalgic 90s properties has been proven to spellbind your cinematic sensibilities on occasion. So, did Independence Day Resurgence draw you into the hive mind? And furthermore, if Roland Emmerich gets his way, we're going to be seeing a lot more tactical assaults on tentacled aliens. So, are you prepared to take on Independence Day Resuscitation? Chris, before I answer that, I just want our Midnight Warriors to know that we usually set a timer for these things, and we just set it for 1776, which would equate to about 1816, give yeah, or take. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it's Independence Day. That's what we're doing. Um I try and go into every movie, whether it's an independent movie or a summer movie with an open mind. And I'll just put it bluntly, Chris, there is not one thing about this movie that works. Not a single, not okay, a that, single that thing that works. Okay. There, the spectacle doesn't work from the biggest spectacle to the smallest, you know, little joke moments wherever someone pops up and you're so, oh, oh, uh-huh, ah, uh-huh. nothing, nothing works. Nothing clicks. And I'm trying to figure out why. And here's what I think it is. This movie did not need to be made. There are some no. movies, no matter how big they are, how great they are, how much we enjoy them, they don't need sequels. Independence Day was one of those movies. And so Independence Day Resurgence isn't really a movie so much as it's two and a half hours of something trying to justify its existence. And it fails. Quick, Quickly, Hunter, Independence Day is about two and a half hours. This yes. movie's not even two. It's just under two. Is it? Cause yeah. I, uh, okay. Then maybe yeah. cause I did the IMDB and I, maybe I just looked up independence day. No, like look up, if you look up independence day resurgence, I think it's maybe it's, exactly 120 minutes like it's straight okay so it's straight around probably with credits and how perfect i mean isn't that the perfect marketing plan is to make it exactly 120 minutes not one minute longer one minute shorter i think it it felt like two and a half hours i I think it does inform everything with this movie because whenever the the false ending happened that's not a spoiler there's a false ending whenever the false ending happened i thought yes it's over (laughs) i mean that's how i felt about this movie i wanted to leave and then damn it it's not over when the false ending happened it felt a little like the ending of fantastic four i don't know if you've seen that yet it's on hbo now you should watch it if uh if you haven't is that your recommendation uh, no it's not my recommendation um but it, it felt a little bit like that where i was like well 
that was quick, but it was also painless and we're done and we can leave. And then whenever it was a f- like, th- then it just felt like what they did to set set that up felt so unearned and so like they're they Roland Emmerich just loves to kill off people and make it. He thinks that he's making it feel like a big, you know, dramatic mm-hmm. moment. And he just does it willy nilly. And I know right, no uh, completely undermining the purpose. And so yeah. they tried to do that here. But then and that's and, what I and, mean is this should have been a big moment, a big emotional moment. And just like I said, nothing works. Well, it's and, just it didn't it didn't do anything for anyone. And beyond that, that was so predictable from literally the second <laughs> scene of the movie. Like I I knew it was going to happen when a certain character is introduced in a certain state. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, well, obviously this guy is going to be the this guy from the last movie. Well, as long as we're just telling it like it is, let's tell it like it is. Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin are not very good filmmakers. Independence Day was an anomaly and it's silly, but it, it but it worked. It's an but it's an anomaly in American popular culture. They were exposed when Godzilla came out two years later in 1998. Right. They were exposed as being not very good. And once again, Roland Emmerich demonstrates that he's right up there with Rob Cohen and Steven Summers and who else? Mick G of guys who just they they keep they're not even they're not even Michael Bay like Michael Bay. And, and when you say up there, you mean below. Yeah, Brett exactly. Ratner. Below. Brett below Ratner. Ratner. But let's let's do this. My, Michael Bay gets a lot of shit. Michael Bay, you can't look away. He's kind of like Donald Trump. It's obscene and gross and bullish, boorish. Uh, Michael Bay knows what away. he's doing. Yeah, though. you can't look away. These guys are over the top and ridiculous, but boring at the same time and that's what independence day resurgence was yeah like honestly for me the biggest like about the middle of this movie is where it was the worst where it was just like i i totally gave up and somehow like i think it it finally reached a point where um I was on the other side of it. I was on the fiasco side of it where it was just like I was rooting against the movie trying, at that point because yeah, that's the only and, way you can enjoy it. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I was there with a friend, which made it a lot of times I go see these movies alone. Going with a friend made it so much better of an experience. Like I had a fun time that evening. Well, but it, it had nothing to do with the content of the movie. It had to do with the the experience of because the people around me as well are like actively speaking to the screen by the end mm-hmm. of the movie and so it's it's that like at least you can have a bit of that communal like why is this happening what right. is what is going on my here, audience sort of reaction thing. was different in that they were laughing at the funny lines but they were laughing because they knew they were supposed to laugh they didn't think it was really? funny but they were saying i know i'm supposed to laugh at this so I want to laugh at this. My my audience was having none of it. They were having none yeah, of it. They, well, you were opening night like 8 p.m., right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, see, I was a, a matinee Friday crowd. Okay. Like, and, and that's so, that, but your your point about the jokes, like that's one of the, I think the, the prime problem I see with this is this is a movie that actually, I think, in someone else's hands could have been a really fun movie in a, like, I mean, if you're going to do basically the exact same thing that you did before, but bigger, you have to have something that makes it palatable Mm -hmm. and digestible. And the obvious thing, because they they have a little bit here, I think unintentionally, Mm -hmm. but the camp element of this movie were those were the things that worked the best for me. You know, like if this went full like Starship Troopers, Mm -hmm. um, I think it would have been a much more more enjoyable visionary director Guillermo del Toro. (laughs) No, no. I mean, Guillermo, but I will say Guillermo del Toro did with with Pacific Rim handle Mm -hmm. similar content in a much better way, in a much more. And not to say that movie doesn't have its flaws. It certainly does. But it's not Independence Day Resurgence. It's not Independence Day Resurgence. Yeah. Well, here's a little game I'd like to play for a a, a little bit is um, let's say let's here's why Independence Day worked. Here's why Independence Day Resurgence didn't work. Mm -hmm. Okay, first and foremost foremost the charismatic lead in independence day was will smith right the charismatic lead in this is liam hensworth who I wasn't, is not a charismatic lead i wasn't sure who you were going to say the charismatic lead was honestly exactly. i thought i thought maybe you were going to say jeff goldblum i don't like i i don't know there are so many characters in this movie and i don't know there's no one who's developed enough to care about mm-hmm. them really even the characters that were in the original film but I, it feels like they're given no time because right. they just say oh well you already know who they are so shorthand you don't need you don't need any sort of yeah they don't even get a, a heroic entrance or anything like or that. or a, i mean there's there's a couple characters from the original who don't live through the end of this and 
two that I can think of off the top of my head, neither of their deaths really mean much. Mm-hmm. They they do the smallest amount of like connecting them to other characters um, just to say, oh, well, they were related in this way. And so you should care and you should feel, you know, your heartstrings talk and like none of it. Yeah, none very, it very lazy and uninspired. That's the movie in general. And so Liam Hemsworth, I would say he, he was given a lot of lines that you're like, you know, if Will Smith said that or Robert Downey Jr. said that, mm-hmm. it would be funny. But him saying that it, it's not funny. Go okay. away. Liam. Okay. So why why is Liam Hemsworth the one given? Why is his character here a and B? Well, I, I think we can maybe get into that a little B. Why? um is the character that's supposed to be Will Smith's stepson, um, Dylan Hiller, the the, mm-hmm. the character, um, the who was played by the kid who played I think Buckwheat in in the Little Rascals. Really? The okay. Yeah. See, the movie has something going for yeah. it. Thank you um, for that. Well, no, in the in the original, not here, not not the kid who's in. Well, it no, I, I know, but it's yeah. just nice to see that he did well for himself. Good for you, Buckwheat. Uh, why is that character? Why is he such a stick in the mud? Why did they not try to recapture? Because they're clearly not trying to tread on any new ground here other than bigger explosions. Mm -hmm. So why didn't they try to capture that charisma in the son of Will Smith instead of saying, oh, I'm so emo because my dad died (laughs) because he wouldn't sign on to do the movie. Right. Um, and, And I mean, I think part of it, maybe I don't know. Um, I don't know of anything else. I can't think of the actor's name on the top of my head. The the guy who plays his son um, did or has done. I don't. I looked at his IMDb and it looked like it wasn't too much. Um, but I wonder why. Do you know who Gerard Carmichael is? I do not. Okay, he was in. He was in Neighbors. He's a stand up comedian. He would be perfect for pulling off the Will Smith Jr. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, and he's got he's a little more I think he's a little more subversive than Will Smith, which would would be fine. Um, But he's got just that he's got a charisma and he's got this sort of charm that you would get on board with. Mm -hmm. But the the character isn't given any of that anyway. So it's it's a wash. Yeah, this this movie overall, I think, took our affection for granted. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then at no point in time ever tried to tried to generate new affection or new moments Go, well, going back to jurassic world we won't talk about that a lot but even though it was potentially manipulative in its nostalgia at least it wanted to bring you in whereas this just it just takes for granted you're gonna you're gonna see it because it's independence day well what this felt like to me is this felt like a movie that has seen um and i'm sure it was in production before but it has seen the profitability of something like a jurassic world something like um, you know, the Star Wars franchise uh, coming back and it feels like that made for TV version <laughs> where it's like, OK, this is a like this is a market now. We don't understand. We have this property. We don't understand why it's a market or how the market works. But apparently it's just magic. And it's it's just, it, it plays out like a very expensive made for TV movie mm-hmm. that with with graphics that aren't, you know, that are made for TV sort of grab like it looks like all of this was rendered on like a video game engine for an xbox 360 oh yeah it's absolutely abysmal um i think you and i are on the same page as just for, as far as even just the the tone going going to the script it what just tone? doesn't work yeah exactly well i mean when you look at independence day that movie had some tension it had some sense of threat there was no mm-hmm. sense of threat in this so much as it's just you're in a video game yeah from and, the start and independence day like i'll be honest i've never thought independence day was like a classic it's a it's a fun Hollywood blockbuster, but it's not like it has a lot of problems. I think um, the thing that is amazing is just how economical that movie is up front. Like, I think it does a very good job setting up like just as because there's a lot of characters. And so just as you're getting to know a character, um, it it moves on to the next one. And it it sort of subverts expectations a few times where you think uh, you think something big is going to happen. And then it, it kind of mm-hmm. pulls the rug out from under you. This does none of that. It's and, and it it really does. It feels like the movie with the longer runtime for no like because because it's just aimless. It's aimless and uninspired. And so do you think that this movie demonstrates because I mean, this movie's bad, independent, haha, <laughs> independent of Independence Day. But do you think that this movie in some ways even exposes Independence Day? Do you think that it demonstrates that Independence Day maybe wasn't as seminal as perhaps the pop culture and the studio thought. I mean, maybe I, I don't know how seminal people maybe, maybe as far as the studio thought, I, I think the thing that independence day has going for it is it has iconic moments. It has moments that, I mean, like the white house blowing mm-hmm. up things like that, that are very, uh, you just remember them, right? but they, they are parts of a movie that's 
not, you know, it's not, it's not great. It's not a masterpiece. It's fun. Mm -hmm. This, and that's, that's the problem is this movie is not nearly as fun. Right. And so the, and so whenever they attempt to recreate that quote magic of destroying landmarks, we've been seeing that nonstop for 20 years. Yeah. But then it's also like, I mean, it was in the trailer, but it's just this offhanded comment where it's like, oh yeah, they, they like to go for the landmarks. And they're like somehow in the span of like, seven minutes they go from china to london like in in there i guess they have alien technology so there's well, spacecraft, that spacecraft was like the size of asia wasn't it it was very it was bigger than that i i, I don't like yeah i don't understand scale of anything in this Mm-mm. so don't i don't understand exactly what the plan was i don't understand why there's there's a there's essentially a giant mechanical spider in the third act um, right. let, let's just, you know, call it like mm-hmm. we see it. Um, I don't understand why said giant mechanical spider came to earth because did not need to happen. That was pretty um, stupid of her. Yeah. yeah really, I'm, really. She dumb. walked right into like, it. Like, I, was it, was it hubris? What was the, what was the thinking there? And, like, and also the, even down to her design, I mean, they chronically rip Roland American Dean Devlin. They chronically oh. rip people off. I mean, that entire time I'm thinking aliens. Yeah. Well, aliens, aliens and predator to, to an extent with, you know, the tentacles and everything, but not as interesting. Mm-hmm. And okay, here's another, here's another like weird, what, what's going on here? Like I actually made a whole in my notes, made a whole list of like, list of like, why did this happen? Why? Okay. So after the original 96 incident, they uh, captured and imprisoned a bunch of these aliens, mm-hmm. but they left them in their like body armor. Like there, it, it was well established right. in the original that they are actually tiny little figures and they're just inside these like fleshy armor, yeah. suits. Um, why did, why did they not remove them from that armor? Because they knew that was only going to lead to problems. And here's the thing is the answer is that the body armor looks cooler, but the movie should have had an answer for that. The The body armor looks cooler, but only because those aliens look stupid. Yeah, they're just yeah, they're just these little wimpy things. OK, yeah. so you've got some other things. What are some of the key moments that you'd like to disparage here? Um, OK, one of one of the main things that just plot wise kind of blows my mind is so they sort of retrofit what the narrative of the original one was to justify them coming back and they they said oh well what they were really doing they weren't coming here to like destroy us per se they were coming here to just suck the liquid molten core out Mm -hmm. of our planet for power which i guess you could say is a thing but well they also have the energy to travel intergalactically so why are they why are they wasting their time that seems like go driving 20 miles to get a gallon of gas maybe 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 the answer to all of these things is hubris then yeah you know why why does the queen come down to earth hubris that would be more interesting it it would have but they're not characters that's another thing is they're just faceless like Mm -hmm. creatures um but you would think they would be able to harness the power of a star which has so much more energy Mm -hmm. than the core of a planet like maybe they're they have brilliant scientists to an extent but just because apparently we learned cold fusion from their technology their technology which this is another thing i don't understand so we had for 50 years we had that original roswell uh ship that uh we we tried to do research on but we couldn't do anything because the the mothership wasn't above and then we get a lot more of those ships but uh they all seem to also go dark once mm-hmm. the mothership, you know, had, Vanishes, had, yeah. had been blown up. So how did we figure out this technology without the mothership source power powering it suddenly? Like, doesn't make it like, and this is the type of thing that I probably wouldn't be nitpicking if the movie like made a world where I bought into it and believed it. But that that's, that's ultimately like where, where we stand. Yeah. The other thing is why? So, okay. So we do, we spend 20 years advancing everything with alien technology Everyone is still driving around in cars that are powered by gas and none of the, and, and in old, old, old cars. So it's just like, we only use the technology for our military. That's, that's all that happens. Um, it's just there, there, it seems like there was no thought put into the craft of creating this world. It's just sort of, and I, I imagine the answer there is honestly like, well, if it looks like it's too futuristic, then it's not relatable as earth anymore. 
But, um, you know what? The the key word here, I think, is hubris. And it's not the hubris on the aliens part. It's the hubris on the filmmakers <laughs> part is they just thought that there was more lingering affection for Independence Day than perhaps there was. And so they could get away with making, let's face it, a stupid movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. It's just it's not good. And do you know, I mean, we're, we're in the middle of the opening weekend. Have you seen anything on box office predictions for it, the it, show? Actually, it's it? going to get smashed around by Finding Dory. They're thinking it'll okay. probably be about 50 million, which for context is one fourth of what Jurassic World made its opening weekend. Right. And what about is, is that? domestically that's domestic okay yeah. do you know anything about about globally actually i'd say it'll probably do very well i i imagine worldwide. i imagine and, that, and that's another like they blatantly and fine like there is an emerging global box office that is probably soon in the coming years to take over us um but they it seems like they just haphazardly kind of set that up as well mm-hmm. they're just like oh well, we'll throw in some you know we'll throw in some chinese some sequel nuggets yeah and and then that'll be enough and to the point that like you could literally cut out the that chinese pilot and it wouldn't change the story at all and there's even most of the time she's not even given lines so right. she's she's marginalized you know it's just they'll be in a dogfight and they'll cut to a rack reaction shot of her where she's not even reacting and then go back to right the awful well and also that subplot with judd hirsch who he was he was likable and funny in the first one but in this it's go i mean it, it's adding nothing it's just taking up time okay so um the the subplot with judd hirsch is my favorite thing of okay. this movie only because like by that point i'd given up and mm-hmm. so like when he starts collecting children in a school bus like it it makes no offer, sense and then all. offers to adopt them and, and it, that was supposed to be like a, a a tender moment and it felt creepy it's it, it's so creepy it's so weird but i would i would 100 percent watch like an fx or adult swim sitcom that's just judd hirsch driving a school bus across the desert filled with children. okay i've got an idea a sequel to taxi bus because he was of course in taxi so that's what the sequel is is bus okay this this actually leads into something that i i wanted to maybe close out our discussion with because there's i mean there's nothing critically to say about this other than what like what the hell happened yeah i don't don't have a whole lot of insight Mm -hmm. um to this so um i wanted to play a little game and that's there is inevitably a sequel coming right um can you craft like what would what would they have to do for you to see this sequel what would ideally be the sequel in your mind just figure out that oh we were just kidding will smith do a patrick duffy and say it was all a dream will smith still alive <laughs> that's pretty much all they can do <laughs> okay spoilers real quick we're, we're finally getting into hardcore spoilers here so if you haven't seen the movie and eh, don't see it go see it at a drive-in with some friends like that's the that's the yeah, optimal way to, yeah. to see this um but will will smith wakes up immediately when uh the president dies and and then it's all yeah maybe maybe that's, that's and then and then you make it a smaller movie yeah, or it's it's part of Fox. I believe Fox owns um, owns this property. So why don't you just do a Fox Cinematic Universe with this and Fantastic Four? <laughs> How the Fantastic Four battle the aliens? Yeah, yeah, may, well, maybe it's Doctor Doom and and uh, Will Smith has to fight off Doctor. Doom. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe it's just a piece of shit. I mean, what, well, okay. I, what what do you, what would make you see the sequel if anything? Um, it, it would be there. There's a few things that I would like. One, I would like to, I would like to embrace the camp, embrace the ridiculousness, which would be something. Like, you know, the Judd Hirsch thing, like spend a little more time with that and develop it into a weird story, Um, you know, a George Miller Mad Max sort of thing where it's like, well, this is totally off the wall and I don't understand why it's happening, but I'm enjoying it. Um, You know, spend a little more time on on the eccentricity if you're Mm -hmm. going to do it and embrace the camp, embrace just the we know that we're making a ridiculous movie about aliens coming to mine our core and and kill us all with, with hubris just just lean into it actually write good comedic dialogue there's there are five screenwriters credited on this movie right and none of them know how to write anything funny um i part of that part of that probably goes to the the actors yeah as well. i'm gonna put some of that on liam hemsworth um, uh, a lot of that on I, liam hemsworth yeah I, I have i have a lot of notes in in my my notebook that are just like bad hemsworth is bad why why did he become jeff goldblum's taxi driver all of a sudden how did that all happen because um, they wanted their two leads together i mean everything happens solely for, for so, re, for so bo- many yeah so many things the president's daughter is a pilot did they set that up yeah did every, i miss that it was mentioned everything it just everything happens solely for convenience just yeah. to you know sell action figures or something all right well i think you and i have we we can continue talking about this but, but, I'm, but I'm drained yeah i'm yeah i'm drained so chris you probably really don't recommend this movie unless you're intoxicated so i'm curious 
you could go one of two ways. It could either be a almost an extraterrestrial brew, which would be interesting, or an all-American brew. Okay. So I'm wondering which which way you went so with I this. So I went I went all-American, I went space. Um I actually the 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 alternative that I heavily heavily considered was uh, just bad beer, you know, beer that I despise. And I almost did it. Um, but I, you're going to be doing enough suffering if you're watching this movie. So I'll give you at least something to enjoy. And so I'm going to recommend, uh, it's, I have declared it is IPA summer. So this pick is Endeavor Imperial IPA from St. Arnold Brewing Company in Houston, Texas. And so, uh, Endeavor obviously named after the Endeavor space shuttle. Um, St. Arnold's is based in Houston. So it has, you know, a little NASA connection there. Um, this is a really good double. This is one that maybe you could handle Hunter. Um, it's an actually, I tackled a double the other day. Did you? I did. Yeah. What, what was it? I'll, I'll try and remember. I'll let you know. Okay. I can't, I can't remember. Okay. But yeah. Tackle. Uh, but this, this is uh it's crisp. It's clean. It's hop forward, but, uh, it, it does have a really forgiving multi finish. And that's where I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. Like it'll, it'll hit you, but then, um, it all feels kind of great it makes it leaves you wanting more um which not all you know not all ipas are, are going to do and, and, as, and independence day resurgence certainly does certainly certainly doesn't and it has a really nice citrus aroma so it's it's just a nice beer to you know take a little whiff of. you don't want to say flower is that as, it no it, it, this is more floral, this, this is this is more citrus than floral mm-hmm. there, there's there's a difference okay and this this is clocking in because this is double clocking in at nearly nine percent abv which is going to help you uh you know along through this two hours that feels more like three. Right. Um, and so it can only really aid the viewing experience. So that's uh, Endeavor Imperial IPA from St. Arnold's Brewing Company. And it was actually just occurred to me, Phantasmagoria. Oh, Phantasmagoria is a great beer. One that I've been holding off on trying to find the right place to recommend it. All right. Well, um, do you did you ride the Phantasmagoria as a kid? I'm sure you understand the reference. No, was this a Bell's thing? Yes, it was a Bell's ride. That's what they okay. named it after. I, I did not know that. Okay. I was, I was terrified of all things amusement park as a child. So Not a big fan of amusement parks myself. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Independence Day Resurgence is currently assaulting audiences and multiplexes nationwide. So if you've seen it, tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Or better yet, how about you send it to us on extraterrestrial RF waves, preferably through SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Initiative mm-hmm. from the federal government. I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the film via that medium. That, that's fine. But based on this film, clearly we're not going to receive it because we didn't see this coming at all. No, absolutely not. Well, stick around because we'll be back after the break to discuss Dr. Ian Malcolm slash David Levinson slash The Fly, Jeff Goldblum, in our special feature segment, The Curious Case of Jeff Goldblum. So, Chris, uh, this is uh, an interesting setup uh, you've uh, you've you've got here in your in your home office with the uh, with with the mics and the uh, the computer. Hey, Hunter, what what are you talking about? Merely proving a point, Chris. Who was I doing an impression of? Christopher Walken with swagger. Close. I was doing an impression of Jeff Goldblum. Ah. Midnight Warriors. You remember in the old Looney Tunes cartoons when Bugs Bunny would run into a movie star, James Cagney or Greta Garbo or Edward G. Robinson. Didn't matter. Bugs Bunny would never speak the person's name, but you could always tell who it was simply by their aura. I can't think of a lot of actors these days who have that exclusive of a personality. Sure, there are plenty of talented and charismatic actors out there, but what they lack is a particular eccentricity. Not so with Jeff Goldblum. Let's face it. We love Jeff Goldblum because he's just an odd guy. He's kind of like your high school chemistry teacher. Someone who doesn't really know how to act normal and honestly doesn't care. Almost like he's not a human being, but just impersonating one. He's not a great actor, at least not if you define great acting as either disappearing into a role or plumbing the depths of the human psyche. No, in every movie, he's pretty much just playing Jeff Goldblum. But he is great in that he always elevates everything he's in. 
to some extent even Independence Day resurgence. Call me crazy, folks, but while weepy shouting and suffering may win the gold, the Goldblum's meandering stammer is its own reward, thank you very much. So today, during the curious case of Jeff Goldblum, Chris and I will trace the Goldblum's career and seek to explain his peculiar charisma. So we'll start here. Chris, the only other actor whose screen persona we discussed at length, not career, but persona, was Arnold Schwarzenegger in episode 21. So do you think you and I just prefer personalities to raw acting talent? <laughs> uh, I, I I can't speak for you, but uh, I would say, it. you know, it just... It just depends on on the duder or the dudette. Well, you can't really. I mean, you can't really talk about Matt Damon's acting persona or, or no, you, so, so to speak. You, you know, you can't. I mean, I think if it a, a Damon discussion would be a very different sort of um, sort of discussion. It would be like our like our Tom Cruise discussion. Yeah, yeah. So or our Leonardo DiCaprio discussion. Right. It, it, and so it's they're two different camps. I and I like both both of them. Mm-hmm. Goldblum. I mean, the thing with Goldblum is Goldblum is fun. Goldblum is literally the only reason I wanted to see Independence Day Resurgence was because Jeff Goldblum was in it. Mm-hmm. And it looked like he had he had a decent amount of screen time. Um, and he's the, the problem with with Goldblum really is that he's generally a lot of times in, in a bad movie, he's going to be the best thing in it. Um, but a lot of times they don't give him, you know, a starring or a they don't give him a meaty enough role to necessarily make the movie uh, a great film. All right, let's then let's wonder this. Do you think that Jeff Goldblum has it in him if he were given a meaty role? Or I do you think so. he's too okay? Because I, I kind of so. feel he's too Goldblumy, and I'm fine with well, that. Well, no, he, he would it would it would have to be a meaty Goldblumy. Like it would have to be a role written for him. I mean, mm-hmm. it's Jeff Goldblum is a he has different uh, characteristics, but he's sort of like John Malkovich. He's going to be playing himself mm-hmm. in in a form. Like and, and there's there's a little bit of leniency there, a little bit of flexibility, but not not a ton. You or, still you still get the Goldblum aura. Yeah. Or or like Christopher Walken, who you mentioned a moment ago. Right. Because right. here's the thing is, even though my impersonation was bad, if someone were to do a Jeff Goldblum impersonation and say, oh, Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. And I can't I if someone were to do a Matt Damon, I would I would say, OK, you're you're sounding like a person. Well, and, unless I mean, unless it was like a the Boston Goodwill hunting thing. Yeah. It, unless or unless they're really good. Like, I think as far as A-list actors, the only one I can think of at the top of my head who is who has that kind of persona is like Matthew McConaughey. You know what I mean? Right, right. But still there, they just go to Wooderson. Right. Always. But all right, all right, all right. But the um the idea of a of a personality more so than just an acting talent or charisma mm-hmm. is almost a throwback. I kind of think of there's two actors I think of when I think of Jeff Goldblum as far as throwbacks are concerned, and both of them may strike you as kind of funny. One is Peter Lorre. And that there's it's just <laughs> something a little off about the guy, but you you don't want he's not a creep you want to go away. He's a creep that you want to continue watching. Right. And then this one, this is really going to throw you off. I was thinking this because my mind was wandering during Independence Day. Is Jeff Goldblum reminds me of another tall, lanky Pennsylvanian who tends to stammer, and that's Jimmy Stewart. Really? Yeah. Why? How? Expand on this. Jimmy. Well, Jimmy Stewart. Here's the thing: is Jimmy Stewart had a very, even though they're like I said, they are both from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart had a very midwestern aura about him, which contributed to his uh, success and legend, as it were. Whereas Jeff Goldblum has a very East Coast mentality. But if you were to say with just one word to define each of those guys, it would be the stammer. I feel. Yeah, there's a, and if someone does an impersonation of them, that's the thing they're that, going to do that. Yeah, the, the, they're without a doubt going to get and that adds like if you just do honestly, if you just do Jimmy Stewart sort of like I'm I'm not even going to attempt. Oh, to be, Mary, I uh, yeah, gonna, gonna well, but it, the moon. But if, but if you only do the oh, Mary, like <laughs> it's not without the without the oohs and uhs and then like it, mm-hmm. it it's not a it's not a complete. Exactly. I wonder if in his scripts or if Jeff Goldblum scripts for that reason, <laughs> if they put in the ums and the ahs and the ellipses. I'm, I'm sure he fills it in himself. I'm certain he does. Because Jimmy Stewart one time joked, he said he was known for his stammer and his stuttering and things like that. And he said the reason is because is he was bad at memorizing lines. And so hmm. he wasn't acting per se. He was trying to remember what the next line was. Do you think that's Jeff Goldblum? Well, that's that's where the, the whole swagger thing comes in. It just feels like he he's like, well, this is what I have and this is what I'm going to give you. And you're going to like it's it's going to be 100 percent the same thing you know a a consistent uh feel and character take it or leave it and it's just it's what he does 
I may, maybe it is, but it doesn't, it never feels like the, the swagger part of it is it never feels like he's searching for the words. He's just leisurely taking his time getting them. Out. He'll, he'll communicate the point eventually. He'll yeah. get the point across yeah. sooner or later. And then also particularly in something like Independence Day, what he adds is a levity. It's, it's strange. It's a serious levity in that at the same time he communicates the, the threat but then on the flip side, you get the impression that, oh, you know, it's it's still a movie, guys. So there's there's a ton of exposition throughout Independence Day Resurgence, mm-hmm. which is sort of ridiculous because it's basically the same movie as the first one, just bigger. Um, and it's spread across multiple characters. The only person who I ever, like, care to believe at all is Jeff Goldblum. Whenever, you know, because he's doing his sort of, well, uh, you see, it's this, uh, and, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, just give me, give Keep me all of that. Well, and I love it that she said the only one I care to believe, because it's not the point of exposition, good exposition is that you, you want to buy this world. You want you, to buy the explanation. Well, you want to buy into it and you want to, it, this almost with him almost goes against the grain. And generally with exposition, you don't want to know that you're, it's being fed to mm-hmm. you. Right. But with him, he really leads into it. And it's just, it, it becomes a fun, like, I'm just going to put popcorn in my mouth <laughs> as he, as he goes through. As, as he keeps going with it. Yeah. Cause uh, not to, not to rag on this guy, you know what? We'll be ragging this guy. Cause he sucks. But Liam Hensworth being like, man, ever since we went to the moon back in 1998, it's been really, you know, that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff, wherever you know it's exposition, whereas Jeff yeah. Goldblum, he makes it fun. And I don't even know if he's aware of it. It may just be him. Well, and, and I guarantee you that his bits versus other, other people's bits, his aren't any better on the page because this is, you know, a, a movie pinned by Roland Emmerich and four other bozos. Um, it's just that he's able to you know, take those words and put it, he puts it in the Jeff Goldblum processing machine and spits out. <laughs> it comes out Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some of uh, the seminal moments in his career. You had an interesting perspective whenever we were discussing this topic about kind of where he came from in the acting pantheon when he came of age yeah, as a so movie star. I, I assume you're talking about, I, I've always, and this, this may be wrong, but I've, this is how I've always sort of seen it is he seems like the type of guy who they tried to, make into a leading man like he has that weird uh you know 70s 80s like let's take a weirdo and make him a leading mm-hmm. man much like uh elliot gould in the long goodbye or um you know the people donald like, sutherland in anything donald yeah. sutherland in anything exactly where it's like you're not really leading man you're not an alec baldwin you don't have mm-hmm. you know the the but there's something there there's something in the charisma and the that maybe people can get on board with and it feels like like that never really panned out i think he was yeah we always hear the phrase before their time i think he was actually after his time maybe so maybe that that's a good like he could have been he could have been maybe at least like a jimmy cagney or or something Mm -hmm. like that um but then he sort of just evolved into jeff goldblum and he's been playing the jeff goldblum sort of guy i mean what's the i i'll ask you but i know the answer what's when you Think Jeff Goldblum, like what's the thing you go to? What was the first Jeff Goldblum movie you remember? Like, a, well, the first one I remember is Jurassic Park. Yeah, but if you were to do the Jeff Goldblum Rorschach test, it would probably be Jurassic Park or The Fly. Yeah, and that's I assume that that's probably most people. Maybe maybe people I don't know if people our age have seen The Fly, but if you haven't, you need to. You know, maybe a lot of people say Earth Girls are easy. That's another okay. moment. I, but Earth, I think Earth Girls are easy falls into that, like trying to right. trying to push him in that in that place. Like he has a few of those rocky, weird places throughout throughout the eighties, and then by the nineties, I think they figured out okay, he's just like he's Goldblum good. Goldblum. He's good at being the weird eccentric character, and just he's he's solid. He's on fire. Let him go with it. I mean, I think Dr. Ian Malcolm for me is definitely the one that I initially like kind of recognized him from. And he actually, as that character with his mannerisms, which is, you know, Goldblum, but in, in even more like it's a focused because he's, uh, what, what is his exact role? Chaos theorist. K- yeah. Chaotician. Chaotician. That's how he says it. No, no. Chaotician. Chaotician. Um, and he like he reminded me of this guy who was on my like T-ball team in elementary school, his weird dad, mm-hmm. both with like the haircut and the mannerism. So for a while, Jeff Goldblum was basically my friend's weird dad or my teammate's weird dad up on screen. And then eventually like evolved into like, you know, his he's own just, thing. yeah, his own thing. But uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm, I still cannot completely 
separate from that. And um, it's it's sort of a it, it creates its own bit of nostalgia. And, and it me. actually is a brilliant bit of casting. No, it's it's perfect. It's I mean, and, and there's still I mean, there there's that uh, that image that recently came up <laughs> um, that, that blew up the Internet. You, mm-hmm. you know what I'm, I'm speaking of, of uh, Sam Neill leaning on on his open shirt. Like and that's sort of like the last feels like the last flush of trying to make him a, 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 a sexualized yeah, object. Exactly. And then by the time the Lost World came around, he was playing just he was playing Jeff Goldblum. He yeah. wasn't doing that other thing. So let's go back uh, back to the fly. Could anybody else have made David Cronenberg's The Fly what it was? I mean, it, it is a you. I feel like you cannot separate Goldblum from that performance. I don't think anyone was going to be able to bring the same thing. And maybe I mean, I don't know who in the 80s you put in that role. Otherwise, I'm sure there's one or two other people who would have done a fine job, but they would not, in my opinion, have brought the characteristics that that he brings and it's a we were just talking about this off mic it's it's a strangely charming and sweet little film it's a or or bittersweet you know Mm -hmm. that love story with gina davis is actually really nice and Mm -hmm. really like the type of thing that you don't see much um in uh in a hollywood movie like You'll see it attempted, but it comes off as trite uh, in a genre horror picture of that nature. And yeah. and, and especially, well, I I meant just across mm-hmm. you know in general, but especially in a genre horror picture. And it's a little odd that it's coming from a Cronenberg movie, mm-hmm. but um, it's it, it's he he brings an element that I think is indefinable mm-hmm. in a way. No, absolutely, and it's it's a i saw it whenever i was a kid it was like an edited tnt version that is one of the most just perhaps because it's one of the most unsettling mm-hmm. movies you know i think there is and so I, I mean i describe it as sad honestly there hasn't been a time i've watched it where it's like the ending of king kong you know what i mean well, i haven't seen it once wherever i wasn't sad by the end of it it's it's sad in like a in a tragic way in a in a lost love sort of way in a like and and in a because there's i think i feel like they they had a real chemistry between him and Gina. Yeah, Davis. they were dating. Yeah. And um, that that showed up on screen in, in a great way. But then it's also this sort of brilliant mind with brilliant, ambitious mind that, um, you know, his uh, the, the thing that he was dedicating everything to sort of overtook him. You know, it, his project, he became a part of his project instead of his project being a part of him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it became bigger than him and consumed him. And um, it is it, it, sad. Sad is a right. Like, I God, I love that movie. Yeah, you, you, you can't watch that and not be saddened by it. So rather than go movie by movie, unless there's some things, that, other ones that you wanted to point out. I mean, there, there's a few. Do you I, I figured we would just sort of yeah, like sure, talk about our our, yeah. our our. OK, I talked about the fly. Go for it. Um, I mean, yeah, there's so Jurassic Jurassic Park. I don't think we need to say any more mm-hmm. about that, but that that's a great one. I actually I caught up on a few. Um, well, I revisited one preparing for this and then I caught up with the big chill, um, Mm -hmm. with this, because that, that exists right in that sort of midsection where he's not the lead there, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's, you know, squarely in like, I think 83 or so. So it's, it's right in that place where maybe he's an up and comer at that point. See, that's an interesting thing to point out because I'll be frank. I I love ensemble movies, but I just don't like Lawrence Kasdan movies. He's like Paul Haggis is their movies they have all these great actors but their movies are always them talking and i don't really like what they have to say and and it's them talking in the most like navel gazy i'm a screenwriter mm-hmm. sort of way like that and, and here's the i i saw the big chill for the first time and i don't get it maybe and i don't know if it's a matter of i'm still not old enough because it's actually one that i had held off on watching because i knew that it's sort of a you know, it'll hit you as an adult yeah. sort of movie. And I, I don't I don't think it's successful in that regardless. Maybe I'm not old enough, but I don't think it's that. Well, here's the it, thing about the big chills. Whenever they're in the the funeral and they start playing, you can't always get what you want on the piano. I just screw you. Movie. Well, that but that, that, sets, that sets the tone for the rest exactly. of the movie. Like, it's just it is proto Zack Snyder. Like it is it's not doing, um, you know, it's it, thematically it's not the same thing as Sucker Punch, but it might as well be because it's just a vehicle to get from one 
song to the next. Yeah, it's, it's just trying to hit all the baby boomer. And, and baby that's boomer like, I, I think that movie is just really, it's just a snapshot of ephemera where it's there. There's a certain group of the, yeah, those boomers who they, they eat it up because it, it's their nostalgia essentially. But uh, the problem is that it doesn't do anything beyond that. Yeah, and so, okay. so screw that movie, but Jeff screw, Goldblum, screw that movie, but Jeff Goldblum. And that, and that's the thing. Jeff Goldblum is good in it, but he's not, he's not in it enough to save the movie by any means. Mm-hmm. One movie that he was in long enough to save it, And he was actually in it with another very charismatic guy, but um, it's Holy Man. Have you ever seen Holy Man? I haven't seen Holy Man okay. with uh, Eddie Murphy. Right? Yeah. Right. It came out in the mid nineties and essentially Eddie Murphy plays kind of a, a Dalai Lama S figure who mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum exploits to put him on television, retail shows, okay. infomercials. And so anyway, the moment of that movie that I that I remember the most is whenever Eddie Murphy was living in his house and Jeff Goldblum uh, comes out in the morning and just pulls his chair out from underneath the door because he had used his chair to prop the door and lock it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that would have been funnier, funny with anybody else. But Jeff Goldblum doing it, he he lets this man stay in his house, but he's still <laughs> he's still going to lock his door just in case. And and not a not a line of dialogue is spoken. There's mm-hmm. there's no winking at the camera or anything. It's just him pulling that moment. Well, off. and there's there is we we've talked about his stammering and that sort of. There is also something to the physicality of just the way that he sort of he he has a movement in his body that is the physical version of that stammer, where he sort of you know he'll he never does anything any motion directly. There's sort of. A little bit of like zigging and zagging. Mm-hmm. It's like he doesn't know what to do with his arms. I mean, I'm kind of like that guy. If I'm just staying there, I don't know what to do with my arms. But he makes it look way cooler. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he look, makes it look way cooler. Um, okay, so another Jeff Goldblum entry. Really, the only other thing that I wanted to to touch on was his couple of pieces where he's worked with Wes Anderson, and I think Wes Anderson mm-hmm. perfectly. You know, he because he's already a larger than life sort of figure. He he fits perfectly into that weird pastiche um, of this off kilter, very, uh, very direct sort of acting and, and putting him, putting him in a world like that is sort of interesting because he's not even necessarily standing out as the one person who's, um, you know, who's acting in this somewhat weird mannered way, but he's, he's an ensemble of people doing it, which, um, I, I think is interesting. I think probably life aquatic is of the two that, that he's been in life aquatic and grand Budapest. life aquatic is, uh, Hennessy, the, the, basically the rival to right. Bill Murray's Steve Zissou, um, is, is just a great, you know, he's, he is a, he's a villain, but he's a villain that you don't like despise. Um, it's, it's more just like, well, some, I guess some guys just, some guys just get it and other guys don't. I kind of like what uh, I kind of like thinking what working with Jeff Goldblum on a movie set must be like, because I can kind of imagine he doesn't seem like the type who really even though he trained with uh, Stan- Sanford Meisner, he doesn't seem like the type who really enjoys movies or acting. He's one of those actors who you think he doesn't <laughs> like acting, which is funny. And I think that that's part of his appeal. And so I wonder if I'm like a Wes Anderson set. He's like, OK, fine, if you want me to do like he, he almost thinks it's silly and he doesn't get it. But he's just he's cool with it. I don't I don't see it that way at all. Like I've always I always see it as because I feel like the director is in on like what they're going to get. Like they can they can see the the words on the page and then put it through their own in their mind. Jeff Goldblum processing machine mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that's how he's going to deliver um, this bit. And so mm-hmm. it's you know, it's it's a uh, binary. It's either like you get Jeff Goldblum or you get nothing at all. Yeah. Um, but it, it always seems to me like he's he's having quite a bit he, of fun. He's not he like it's not a Marlon Brando. Well, sort he's, of thing. he's having it's, fun. He's having fun being himself and doing his persona. But as far as the acting, you know what I mean? Capital A acting. I don't think he and that's why I think he's moved away from trying to do media roles and more just doing himself. He has fun being himself mm-hmm. more than being an actor. But se. and I think I but I think directors know that that's what they're getting. Yeah, and exactly. some of my I, I said that was my last thing. Honestly, some of my other favorite um, when when he's doing comedy, when he's doing he's done a lot of appearances in um, uh, Portlandia where he's, he's played multiple characters. He probably his most notable as the Sofa King. Um, who, um, he, he's this big sort of sleazy, uh, furniture retailer and it's just, you know, it's him doing sort of local furniture commercials like you, I'm sure can imagine in your mind right now. I'll put a, I'll put a link to these on, uh, um, in the show notes if I can find them and just having a, having a ball with it, you know, doing his, mm-hmm. oh, uh, well, uh, 
you're never going to find prices uh, better, better than these. Uh, and, you know, doing those, you know, the furniture salesmen always have their little like zingers or their little catchphrases right. doing the catchphrases, but in the most disingenuous Jeff Goldblum, like, well, my catchphrase is this, so I'm going to give it. I'm going to throw it at you there. Yeah. Also, he's great in those apartment. Was it apartments.com or something like that? They, they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're those, really those messed wonderful. up. They're really messed up. And I don't I don't get it from a branding perspective, but I like him in them. Mm-hmm. You know, I take it back. I think it's actually the pullout king. He's he's selling. Oh, perfect. He's he's selling uh, pullout uh, pullout sofas. Yeah. Wink, wink. Yeah. All right. So um, one thing that I wanted to mention, just so it's it's out there in the in Internet land, in case you guys don't go on IMDb, is apparently Jeff Goldblum is in a jazz band with oh, Peter yeah. Weller who played RoboCop. So <laughs> Yeah, you sent me something about this. It was a screenshot of just that one yeah. uh, that one bit cuz like I said I was doing some research on Jeff Goldblum and so I just wanted everyone to know that that either was a thing or is still a thing. So I, I did a little less research than you did. I did notice though that he had a couple soundtrack credits. Do you know if any of those were the jazz band? You know, I don't that I don't know. Okay, well we'll, Wait, we'll so look into movies? this. Yeah, it was in. I, I'm pretty sure he had some some soundtrack credits on IMDb. We'll do a little research. If there's anything, we'll we'll put that in the show notes. As well. All right. So real quickly, Chris, uh, what do you want to see Jeff Goldblum do next? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I want to see him continue to be do do Jeff Goldblum. You know, it'd be interesting. I would like to see, and I think he's he he has worked with Tim and Eric on in Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. He was Chef Goldblum. <laughs> Um, I would be totally fine with either a Chef Goldblum, you know, 15 minute show on Adult Swim or something of that sort where it's just allowing him to run free with, you know, his uh, his persona and his, you know, allow him to just improv like kind of like John C. Riley does with mm-hmm. Steve Brule. Um, I, I think that would be a fun outlet. All right. Um, I would like to see him either be in a road trip comedy. I think with, I think with who, who do you pair him with? See, that's the thing as I was. I Will was Smith. Thinking, yeah, there you go. Will, Will Smith, just Will Smith, and we'll go with that. I mean, there's there's lots of people it could be, but yeah, buddy comedy road trip with Will Smith. And then an alternate, or not an alternate, another thing I'd like to see is him host as himself a science TV show. Ooh, yes. I just, I, since he's going to be himself one way or the other, I'd just like him to say, this is you, Jeff um, Goldblum. You see the neutrons here. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, that that would be great. Not sure they could fit it within an hour. <laughs> just because of all the stammering, they would have to condense the script and condense the information. So you're probably not going to learn well, a lot. He, he would set it all up and then you would have... You'd probably do a tag team thing where he's sort of the host. There's another narrator for the the meat of it, and then they come back to Jeff Goldblum exactly. commenting on it. Right. Well, boy, wasn't that uh, wasn't that an exciting trip? <laughs> that was uh, that was that was really something. <laughs> well, folks, um, Chris and I both attempted it and I think failed. But what we'd really like to hear from you is your Jeff Goldblum impression. Please tell us what you want to see Jeff Goldblum next in your best Jeff Goldblum impression. Do that at our phone number four eight four four two four. 6362 though if you don't really feel up to doing like giving your impression over the phone maybe write it in a jeff goldblum stammer to hello war starts midnight yeah maybe we'll if we if we get you know a couple a couple emails maybe we will do have a contest to see if we can read read the best uh in in jeff goldblum's voice yes exactly so um stick around because up next is some really rad recommendations big big money don't All right, Hunter, it's recommendation time once again. Do you have something starring Jeff Goldblum to recommend? And if not, is there a place where you could see him being incorporated into the cast? Almost. I mean, he can be incorporated in anything, so that, that's, an, <laughs> that's an easy yes. But how about we'll play Six Degrees of Jeff Goldblum? Okay. The, the thing I'm recommending features someone who was in several movies with Jeff Goldblum, like Silverado and things like that. Okay. Um, I'll get to that in a moment, but what I'm recommending today is Netflix's Daredevil series uh, by Marvel. 
what one of the things that kind of kept me away from this is even though I enjoy Marvel, there's only so much Marvel I can take. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of two full seasons of Marvel just it seemed a bit much for uh, it seemed a bit much for me. But the thing about this show is it's it it's like a cross between the Dark Knight and the Shield. It's very much a crime okay. drama. It's a crime saga with superheroes. So if that gets you as giddy as it got me, then you're in for a real treat. There's about there's two seasons, 26 episodes. John Bernthal, who played Shane in The Walking Dead, is the Punisher in the second season. Absolutely terrific. Vincent D'Onofrio, who uh, I think he might have done some things. Jeff Goldblum, I'm not sure. He was on Law and Order, and so is Jeff Goldblum. So that's another one. If only Jeff Goldblum was in Jurassic World. Exactly. Um, so Vincent D'Onofrio plays the Kingpin slash Wilson Fisk, and then Scott Glenn plays this blind swordsman who trains daredevil but long story short it's just an it's just an, a really awesome show you'll really enjoy it so i'd recommend that and it's easy to access if you have netflix so that's right. daredevil from marvel great that that's one that's been sitting in my queue for uh, well over a year now i guess and yeah. it's just it's the combination of a of more marvel and the like netflix series like i i have a little bit of trouble getting through a netflix original series because a lot of times they tend to sort of be a a slog like to, to get through everything. first three episodes were a little bit tough it took me about three months to do the first three episodes <laughs> and then three weeks to do the rest of the show okay it's well, one of those maybe this time next year i will have gotten through them all yeah we'll, we'll see if i well, if i start right now let's just put it this way the daredevil show i wasn't expecting to be this good so i guess you could say it blindsided me <laughs> okay wow okay so my recommendation this week is uh well you mentioned scott glenn scott glenn is in it ed harris is in it uh sam shepherd is in it and a very young jeff goldblum is in it in a in a small but great role as a i believe he's like a nasa recruiter and basically his entire role in the movie is just you see his feet running very br- or walking very briskly down tiled hallways and then he he bursts into a room says a couple quick quick quips in a slightly less gold-bloomy style and then uh, cuts out this this is if you haven't already guessed the right stuff the 1983 film about um uh, sort of about the machismo of nasa pilots um or nasa astronauts and um you know also the breaking of the sound barrier and the space race and it's a this is a lengthy you know we talked about the length of uh independence day or the the feel of the length of independence this this movie's over three hours but it it moves by at a pretty brisk pace i i think um Wait, three hours and all they could do with jeff goldblum is have him run across a room so several times i think he i think he drives around with a buddy okay um drives out to the desert uh and stuff but mostly like and that's that's sort of one of the one of the nice charms of it is there is this uh with him you have him doing the same thing several times but it's this nice comedic callback um, he's, it's a very light character and it's a very, that's, that's one of the things that I like about the movies. It's a very light on its feet sort of film and, uh, you know, very comedic. It's a, it's really PG, which I think is weird. Cause I feel like there's a lot of profanity and maybe even some nudity in it, but, uh, it was a different time. It was a similar it was, time. It was, it was a different time. This is also available on Netflix. Um, so, and I don't know how long it's, uh, I've seen it come and go, so I don't know how, how long it'll be there catch it if you can it's pretty fun it's a it's it would be a very good like sunday afternoon sit and watch um i have one other thing that i want to recommend very quickly just because it's uh somewhat uh current have you seen any of the uh espn documentary uh, oj made in america i have not no okay this is a five part i believe it's about eight hour wow um it's basically a documentary mini series um about oj simpson but about so much more mm-hmm. than that it's it's a pretty big endeavor but i i think if you if you jump into it or at least for me i i dove into it when i was sick a couple weeks ago and just couldn't stop watching it it was that sort of thing we you don't even get to the oj trial or the murder until i think i think you get to the murder and maybe part three and then the trial maybe the tail into part three and part four um but it's it's sort of this amazing shakespearean sort of tragedy in so many ways the way it ties race race relations in la um, you know, throughout the past 50 years or so and OJ's trial and all of these various things together. It's pretty interesting. Um, really a remarkable film. I mean, I've been debating whether or not I want to put this to qualify on, you know, like my top 10 of the year, but it's, it's that good. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it, it's a long, it'll take you maybe a week to get through perhaps, you know, if you watch like one a night, unless you're sick, unless, unless you're sick. Exactly. Um, even then it took me, I think three days, but it's, 
it's wonderful. It's available on if you have ESPN, it's available on the Watch ESPN app, and I, it's been running on ESPN a lot lately. Okay, and so it, it, do you know if it's on Netflix yet? Because I know Netflix carries it, a lot of those. It, it is not on Netflix Damn. yet. I I imagine maybe in the you know it, it'll probably take a while because generally it takes maybe mm-hmm. a year or so before those hit. Yeah, because Thirty for Thirty, I, in my opinion, they're some of the best documentary filmmakers. Yeah, out and there. I guess I, I neglected to mention that this is part of the Thirty for Thirty series. This is the most ambitious, biggest, longest thing that they have done, and it's it's pretty remarkable. So for the next Thirty for Thirty, I mentioned a documentary. I'd like to see Jeff Goldblum <laughs> host a Thirty for Thirty <laughs> documentary yes. series. Yes. That has Oscar written all over it. Well, folks, that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. So please check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes and more. You can say hi to Hunter on Facebook. Or Cat Call Chris on Twitter and Instagram at WSAMPod. And if you enjoy the show, rate us, review us, or subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. Alternatively, if you're the trolling type who despises this show and is simply hate listening through these credits, please tell us everything we got wrong at hello midnight.com. Or, if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. Shout out to Someone Still Loves You, Boris Yeltsin, for the music on this week's show. Find more at SSLYBY.com. Well, Chris and I feel like skipping Spielberg's latest, The Big Friendly Giant, so instead we're going to go back in time. So join us in another fortnight as we do a Civil War pairing of two of his essential summer pictures, E.T. versus Jaws. Who will win? I'm not really sure, but I'm very much looking forward to uh, this debate. This is, this is going to be a really fun, uh, really fun discussion, I think. Yeah, exactly. Just as Civil War should be, it's going to be painful. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Bye. S- salutations, y- you guys. Good- see ya. Bye. And uh, the uh, you got a you got an interesting uh, setup here with the with the mics see it's almost christopher walken-esque but me well we'll see what happens it's christopher walken with a little more swagger like nerd swagger okay well there you go maybe you've maybe you've hit on the <laughs> it's the it's secret, something it's something like the secret that. ingredient like, maybe that's what he is all right you ready <laughs> yeah